Hello, everyone, and welcome to the trustee table. I'm Anne-Marie Balzano, Director of Leadership and Governance at NAIS, and today I'll be speaking with Dr. Richard Chait. Dr. Chait is Professor of Education Emeritus at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. He has studied nonprofit governance for over 35 years and co-authored the seminal book, Leadership as Governance, Reframing the Work of Nonprofit Boards, as well as Improving the Performance of Governing Boards and the Effective Board of Trustees. Dr. Chait has served as a member of the Board of Directors of BoardSource and as a trustee on the executive committees of Goucher College, Maryville College, and most recently, Wheaton College. He has provided consultation to the boards and executives of more than 100 nonprofit organizations, particularly in education and the arts. Prior to joining the faculty at Harvard, he was a professor at the University of Maryland and at Case Western Reserve University and was formerly associate provost at Pennsylvania State University. Dr. Chait, thank you for taking a seat at the table today. You're more than welcome, Anne-Marie. Well, I'm sure, you know, our audience consists of board members and chairs and heads of school. Everyone's asking the same question is really, should boards be governing differently in a time of crisis, and should they be doing work differently now? Well, that's exactly the right question for boards to ask, Mm -hmm. Anne-Marie. If it's not business as usual for schools, it cannot be business as usual for boards. And I think what's required in a word is discipline, or Mm -hmm. maybe an extra dose of discipline Mm -hmm. on two fronts. Uh, First, uh, boards have to exercise steadfast discipline individually and collectively. This is is the worst time for individual trustees or a subset of the board to channel advice or directives to the head of the school or even to other senior administrators. Mm -hmm. No executive at any time, let alone amidst a crisis, Uh, should be peppered with independent recommendations from board members, however well-intentioned, or buffeted by uh, the crosswinds of contradictory counsel from individual trustees. Uh, What's different now, Anne-Marie, is that crisis is a time for collective deliberation, consensus-driven decisions, and the discipline to speak with a single voice, especially in the face of unpopular or controversial decisions. This is a time for a united stance, and it's a time for a board to be a a heat shield or, if you prefer an automotive analogy, a mud flap for Mm -hmm. administrators who are likely to be confronted by disappointed, confused, or even angry parents. So one form of the discipline is to act collectively. And the second, which may be even more important, is to have the the discipline to focus simultaneously on short and long-term issues. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's an understandable tendency among trustees today, especially, to concentrate almost exclusively on immediate concerns that are important and Lord knows plentiful. Mm -hmm. When to reopen, whether to reopen in phases or all at once, What about potential enrollment declines and revenue shortfalls and reductions in staff and payroll? Will there be increased demand for student financial aid? Should we have mandatory COVID-19 tests for all students and staff? Uh, These are all very reasonable, legitimate questions. Uh, And in the short run, 
one of the board's most important role is to make sure to get the questions right. Mm-hmm. So the board and, and the head need to decide what to decide, and that's a prerequisite to govern uh, effectively. Uh, I'm very fond, Anne-Marie, of, a, of an old axiom. If you've boarded the wrong train, it's of no use to run down the corridor in the other direction. <laughs> and, that's great. So we've got to get, get the questions right in the, the near term. But at the same time, the board and the head have to attend to long-term implications of the current crisis. And that starts, that process starts with generative questions that prompt reflection and invite a board and a head to, to determine what matters most, what merits attention, and what it all means. Uh, typically, when I think about generative questions, these are lines of inquiry that do not have obvious right answers and easy solutions. The problems are not yet precisely defined. The issues challenge the status quo. And the discussions very likely will surface different perspectives and even conflicts. So what are a few sample questions? And these are strictly illustrative, but I think they're the, the plateau or elevation at which the board needs to operate. I just selected four. What does the current crisis reveal about the school's strengths, weaknesses, and basic business model? How will online delivery affect the school's pedagogy and instruction? Has this recent experience exposed or accentuated inequities within the school community that need to be rectified? And I I should say I have... uh, a spouse and a daughter who are both classroom teachers. So the last question uh, should surprise no one. Now that so many parents have had the opportunity to homeschool, do we have a different estimation of teachers? And what does that imply about compensation and deference to professional expertise? So it's questions like these, Anne-Marie, that provoke the sense-making and meaning-making that precedes enlightened decision-making. And in the rush to restore normal operations, I think boards that shirk generative work will do so at great peril. So maybe the last uh, way to, uh, to think about this is this is a moment not only for discipline, but boards need to wear bifocals. <laughs> they need to be able to concurrently read the fine print and look at the horizon. That's a that's a great image. And when you were speaking about the different generative questions that you think boards should be considering right now, it made me think about this idea of how much discipline that would take, because I think that people get so caught up right now in this moment. Like, how do we best make the right decision for tomorrow? And there's a great weight, I think, that that our heads and our boards are feeling right now about making these right decisions as they're faced with, you know, unprecedented financial challenges. And, and so for a board to be really able to take that step back and take that time and, and headspace to reflect and ask those questions, I think you're right. I think they have to if, if they want to be viable in the future. But it's going to be, I think it's going to be difficult without a lot of guidance. It will be difficult, but it's, it's doable. Um, or to you know, use an athletic analogy, you know, a great coach can focus on the next play and then project ahead to the fourth quarter. 
Exactly. And so earlier you were talking a little bit about how the board should not be peppering the executive or the head of school with sort of individual you know, ideas or, or requests. So how do, how do you see the board working differently with the head of school right now? And how do you see that partnership maybe changing during this time? I, I think, Anne-Marie, it's more a case of, of degree than it is of kind. So uh, just as with the, it requires a greater dose of discipline, I think boards and heads have to up the ante or be more attentive to three particular changes. First, there is today a much greater need for more frequent two-way communication Mm -hmm. between the head and the board, uh, both the board's officers and the trustees as a whole. Uh, Whatever the medium, whether it's Zoom or conference calls or emails, the primary purposes of the communication are are twofold. It provides uh, the head with an opportunity to update the board with full transparency about problems and challenges and to tap the trustees' uh, relevant expertise as necessary. And then second, and uh, conversely, it provides trustees with the reciprocal opportunity to identify emergent questions and concerns, particularly about policy and strategy, uh, not about operations and anecdotes. And uh, to quote another favorite uh, maxim of of mine, uh, the plural of anecdote is not data. Uh, So just because you have one story to tell, one ought to be careful not to generalize. So more frequent two-way communication. Second, more frequent two-way feedback, particularly Mm -hmm. between the chair and the head. Every conversation ought to include the question, what do you need from me at this time to fulfill your responsibilities as effectively as possible? It's a question both parties need to ask and answer forthrightly. And then third, as as you foreshadowed, uh, I think the board has to be certain in these times to govern from the balcony despite the temptation to come center stage. Uh, Administrators and teachers are the boots on the ground. The trustees provide reconnaissance from the air. There's a fundamental question I think trustees should ask that will be uh, very instructive. And and the question is a hypothetical. What would be the gravest consequence to our school if the board ceased all operations for the next 12 months? What would happen if we didn't show up for work? And I think the answer to that question constitutes a job description for the board. And it ought to be distinctly different from, but complementary to, the job description for the head. So more frequent two-way communication, two-way feedback, and a sharper delineation between the distinctive contributions a board can make versus fungible contributions the board can make. So when you're, so that's a really poignant question. And and I'm trying to imagine how trustees might answer that, right? Like what happens if we just totally like left the building for for 12 months. I mean, that that's huge. And so, I mean, are, are you imagining that that board work looks differently right now? I mean, are there different structural or procedural changes that you would advise in a time like this? 
I do, and uh, I, I should warn your your listeners um, that this is a little bit more radical of a suggestion. I think if this were commercial, there would be uh, a warning underneath: "Do not try this at home." Uh, well, well, given our, our certain pandemic times, I think I think going going off roading right now is probably a good idea. Okay, so <laughs> it's against the context that the board, as I said earlier, needs to be simultaneously attentive to the short run and to the long term. And so I would be tempted to set aside at least for nine to 12 months, the conventional committee structure Mm -hmm. and instead organize the board essentially into two teams. One team would oversee and guide the administration on the most urgent fiduciary issues and be more akin to consultants, but not managers. Mm -hmm. And that team would be populated primarily, but not exclusively, by trustees from fiduciary committees like finance facilities and audit. The other team, which would also include the head, would focus on the long run and be more akin to a think tank rather Mm -hmm. than a consultant. And that team would be populated primarily, but again, not exclusively, by trustees on committees such as education, governance, and outreach or development. And this team would be charged to discern and frame for the entire board the the generative questions or that I illustrated earlier. So the principle here would be to ensure that the board structure aligns with the challenges both short and long term. And without a, a designated group to discover the issues and and frame the issues for the long term, I I worry that the urgent will overwhelm the important and any victories will be short-lived. But even with this structure, there will always be routine work that fiduciary committees must discharge. So I would not abandon these committees altogether, but I would suggest that the board, frankly, follow the lead of students and teachers these days and do this work via Zoom or WebEx or some other similar technology. Go online, do what needs to be done, do it diligently and do it efficiently, but conserve as much of the trustees' time as possible for the cross-functional work of ad hoc teams rather than the siloed work of conventional committees. Uh, A crisis, as I mentioned earlier, puts a real premium on cohesiveness and coordination and collaboration. And that's a weakness of typically uh, uh, stovepipe committees. So I know it's it's a big leap and it's a somewhat uh, drastic suggestion, but I would encourage boards to to think about two task forces or ad hoc teams, uh, one that keeps a closer eye on the short term but participates in long term, and the other that keeps a closer eye on the long term but is mindful of the short term. I think that's a really interesting suggestion. And, and I think that it even might create down the road, you know, after the crisis, I don't know how it will pass or how long it will take, but it would provide a foundation then for boards to be more in that sort of generative mode of governance that maybe they haven't been able to access before this point. 
Yeah, it's really, uh, in a way, ironic because the way trustees expect the administration or the, the head's cabinet to work is almost exactly as I, I described. Uh, they expect that group to be, even in the, in the absence of crisis, to ensure that the school runs well on a daily basis, but also to forge and execute a long-term strategy. And they come together to do that, and they have to wear those, those bifocals. So it seems to me that, that it would be reasonable for a board to at least think about how they might charge, even if they keep the same committees, charge some subset of people to take the lead, not to be the dominant sole source, but to take the lead on the long term and others to, that would take the lead on the short run. I completely agree with you. So so given this sort of radical, in your words, structure that we could be using here in the short term for, for boards, do you feel like this is a time for schools to entertain transformational change? Or is this a time to restore some semblance of continuity and sort of double down on more traditional success factors? I'm tempted to answer yes and yes. <laughs> it, it's probably a time for both continuity and transformation and if that sounds inherently contradictory, I always try to recall uh, what someone once wrote, uh, that insight resides at the intersection of paradoxes. Uh, I think the point of departure for a discussion of that question, Anne-Marie, should be uh, a conversation uh, between the board and the head about whether they actually want the school to be the same as before the crisis. And if not, what do they hope to change? And if they hope to affect change, what's their theory of change? How do they think change happens? Is it top-down, bottom-up, or the, the reverse? Is it done through a collaboration, or is it done through coercion? Is it done gradually and incrementally, or is it done in a revolutionary fashion? When did the school last undergo substantial change? How did that occur? But the central question that comes before, uh, is this the time, is, is this the desire? Do we mm -hmm. want the school to change? I, I do think it's a ripe moment to consider, for example, whether the, the crisis tested the school's core values and organizational culture and how the, the culture and values fared and whether any adjustments are warranted whether the disruptions provoked by the pandemic disclose better ways to educate, more efficient ways to operate, or even alternative approaches to, to bolster comparative advantage. And it may also be the time to, to question conventional wisdom. Um, most independent schools tout a very low student-teacher-faculty ratio, as that still makes sense. Should we, in light of all of this, maybe we double down on face-to-face -face instruction, or maybe we develop some hybrid system uh, where portions of uh, our curriculum are delivered through either distance education or via technology. And then there's a, a question that I'm I'm a little hesitant to, to raise, but at this stage of life, I, I'll take the risk. 
and that is to think about where we want to position the school. There are a lot of helicopter and what are called helicopter parents or snowplow parents mm-hmm. who who want the school to be a bubble that insulates and isolates students from the external environment. Uh, I mean, literally in this case, what they want is a you know, a virus-free environment, but they want a safe, protective environment. And that's perfectly understandable. And, and that's what a lot of schools market and provide. But on, on the other hand, uh, you might ask the question, now that we've seen incredible interdependence and co-reliance, not just you know, city to city, state to state, nation to nation, Maybe the school should have a thinner membrane uh, and maybe students should have greater exposure and more commerce with the society at large. You know, I guess it's a, a pediatrician's theory that you, you want children to be on the playground because the more contact they have with germs, the, the more immunities they, they develop. I, I'm not a pediatrician, but it's, that's sort of the, the analogy. But if I had to guess, and my ability to forecast is very questionable, <laughs> but if I had to, had to guess, I think once we, and hopefully soon, are in, immunized, we have herd immunity against COVID-19 and the memories of 2020 fade, I suspect that most schools will revert to the pre-crisis status quo. And that may be entirely defensible, but I would also conjecture that probably the most astute boards and the savviest school heads uh, will have gleaned some crucial lessons and seized the opportunity inside this crisis uh, to conceptualize and implement adaptations that might not otherwise have been visible before the crisis. Mm -hmm. And I guess to close, if there's any lesson for organizations to learn from this epidemic, it may well be that what you can't see may kill you. So I'll make a a final pitch for trustees and heads to ask together, uh, what can we see now that we could not see before? And what does that imply for the school and the board? That's a, that's a great question. And and I think it, it speaks to this idea of how do we leverage this crisis into potential opportunities for the school down the road, whether that's, you know, having an opportunity to reexamine our core values and our mission and our vision, or how we approach pedagogy, you know, whether it's online or or face-to-face or hybrid. Yep. I mean, schools are fundamentally learning organizations. That's Mm -hmm. supposedly our core competency. So I would hope that uh, in the immediate aftermath of this crisis, when when people can take a moment to reflect, uh, that boards and heads will ask, what did we glean? What did we learn? What did we perceive that was previously uh, invisible? And how do we harvest that learning in a way that makes the school stronger more and more attractive? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that really also speaks to the idea of not just the school being a learning organization, but boards really need to become learning organizations as well, right? Uh, if boards do not epitomize and exemplify self-reflection and learning, 
there's no reason to for trustees to assume that the, the school will do this uh, despite the fact that the board does not. I mean, one role boards play is to uh, personify the values and attributes that they want the school to exhibit. And so if the trustees are reflective and uh, insightful mm -hmm. about the lessons to glean from this crisis, that will, I think, motivate and inspire uh, the administration and the teachers to ask the same question. Mm -hmm. But if the board, if the board says, wow, we dodged a bullet, we got through this, we're, we're financially sustainable. Now, can we get back to our new logo or the new pathway that we're going about to construct? Then there's not much reason to think that the, the trust the faculty and the administration will be as generative or reflective as they should be. So it's not just to do it for its inherent value, but it's also to do it uh, for modeling. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dr. Chait, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I know that the insights that you've shared with us will be absolutely invaluable to our members. Well, thank you. And the, the, the best of wishes to all of your member schools and the students they serve. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Trustee Table. We've included some great resources on some of the areas we discussed at NAIS.org, and you can also keep an eye on that page for new podcast episodes. Please be sure to listen, rate, review, and subscribe to a new episode each month. Thank you for listening.